Both tall. Good heavens. <laughs> what the hell was that? This meeting is being recorded. It's like, I, know. I hope so too. That was really loud. <laughs> it's like someone shouting in my ear, you're being recorded. <laughs> you need to know, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. For legal reasons. Probably. I, do that. <laughs> I know. I can't sneakily record you a lot now. No. And all your deepest, darkest secrets that you tell me before we start recording. <laughs> <laughs> hey, anyway. I don't have deep, dark secrets. Mine are all light and breezy. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> off, you. She's laughing at me. Oh, I swore then, didn't I? We were recording. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I don't see anyone cares. <laughs> I suppose I should introduce you, or actually you can introduce yourself if you like. Well, go on then. Uh, hmm. My name is Brian O'Gorman. I am a horror writer. I am most famous for my books, uh, Dawn of the Spiders, Day of the Spiders, and Night of the Spiders. I'm also famous for falling down in a chippy some 30 years ago and dropping chips and gravy on my own head, which I recently won an award for, funnily enough. And had I known I was going to be given an award for such an event, I would probably have done a somersault as well. But uh, this, this is me. I write scary books. And sometimes I write nice things as well, but not often. <laughs> ah, but that isn't the reason you're here today, is it? You're no, here to talk about your new book. Well, I am, yes. Um, I've written a memoir of uh, my journey through mental health and uh, having bipolar disorder for years. And, um, I was, people were on at me to write a book about mental health and it's like, I finally got around to doing it. Combined with, obviously, the last time we spoke, Donna, you asked me the question, you've had all these things happen to you, why don't you write a book about it? So, you know, I can combine the two things together because people are asking me to write a book about mental health and the journey that I'd been on. And you asked me to write a book full of daft stories about me falling over and ending up with a wooden fork in my top pocket. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I have combined the two and it's out on the 9th of July and it's called The Man Who Loved Spiders, A Memoir of Mental Health. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> and I can't wait and I know that um, quite a lot of people have pre-ordered it so far actually haven't they or I think they have unless they were lying no no <laughs> quite a, a high amount of pre-orders yeah it's sort of joint first place with the uh, day of the spiders for pre-orders which mm -hmm. uh, was a, an anticipated sequel so this is up, right up there with the anticipated sequel so Let's see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone didn't watch you last time, which would be criminal, and they should go do that. But if they didn't, do you want to tell briefly about your journey? Um, well, <laughs> I sort of suffered with mental health problems for years, but didn't actually realise what was going on. Um, and it started, I remember the first sort of real... Uh, significant event happening when I was about 14 years of age when I got plunged into this horrible dark depression and it just went on and on for months and months and months uh, and it was just just I just couldn't not whatever I did I just couldn't sort of break out of it and because I'd never heard the, heard of the term mental health or depression or anything like that because this was back in the sort of in the day you know in the sort of late 1980s where it wasn't really talked about, you know, it wasn't really a thing. You just sort of heard stories about people going crazy and all that. But it, it, you did, it, it, what mental health wasn't ever talked about, let alone the sort of subcategories of mental health conditions. And so I had no idea what was going on. And nobody else seemed to sort of notice, really. They just thought, oh, well, he's just a troubled teenager. And it's like, it, it was just going on and on and on. And of course, eventually it kind of lifted. But by then, I was so disillusioned with everything that, you know, with school and, you know, I just, I sort of withdrew into this sort of weird fantasy world, which, I mean, you read about this in the book, but it's like, I, I wanted to be a musician, you know, 
that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do a conventional job or career or anything like that. So I was just completely focused on I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a musician and I'm going to be really famous and then everybody will eat their words and they won't tease me anymore for being a miserable sob. So, and that's what they did. They teased me horrendously at school because, you know, I was just glum all the time and I didn't want to sort of engage with anything. So this went on and on for years. And it was only when I was 37 years of age that I actually got a reason as to why all this was happening. And it was after I'd, I'd, I'd been divorced twice. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been divorced twice over the years, and um, after the sort of second divorce, I was living on my own, and I was pl- again I was, fell into this horrible spiraling pit of depression. And my second ex-wife was a, a horrendous human being who played mind games and all this, but it culminated with me trying to take my own life. Um, I went off to. Blackpool and because I'm not going to commit suicide at home because that's just you know I don't want to you know mess the house up you know so (laughs) I I took myself off to I booked a bed and breakfast in Blackpool and I took myself off and I had like a two-month supply of antidepressants which they were feeding me which actually make made my condition worse you're not supposed to give people with bipolar disorder antidepressants because it accelerates the condition so I had this big bag of pills and I went out on one last huge bender, you know, all the way down Blackpool front, going from pub to club to, you know, getting absolutely hammered. And, you know, it's like one last final uh, cruise, you know, just to, before I popped off the mortal coil. And then I went back to the B&B. Uh, I typed a suicide note on my phone and I was going to send it to a select few people. I took all the pills. It took about, I don't know how long it took. It took ages because there's a lot of them, you know. And I sent my suicide note. But in my inebriated state, I accidentally posted it on Facebook. So everybody knew what was going to happen or what I was up to. And they all alerted the authorities. They went to my house, smashed my front door in, uh, went on my laptop, saw that I'd been booking this B&B in Blackpool, and they came and got me. I was awoken by a paramedic slapping me in the face and he was a big guy with big hands so he, he really slapped the taste out of my mouth and they dragged me off the hospital uh, I poured charcoal in and they got all everything out and it was it was uh, it was a real bizarre time because but because of that the mental health crisis team were watching me after that they were around my house every other day. They were phoning me, you know, all the time. And after this big downer, I started going back up. And I became more and more uh, hyperactive and hypermanic. And then it got to the point where I was hallucinating. And you know, it, was, it was complete psychosis. It, you know, I was so high that I was, my brain was running so fast and I wasn't sleeping. And... and I was awake at about three in the morning after about three or four days of like not sleeping. And I was watching the television at sort of three o'clock in the morning. And every time I sort of moved my head, the, the image from the screen was staying in front of me. And then I realized, you know, it's like, it's not actually on the television. It's the product of my psychotic mind. So I had to, I phoned someone, you know, a dial NHS number, I forget what it is, but. And it's like, and they're, yeah, how can we help you, sir? And it's like, I, I think I'm hallucinating. Like, oh, what have you taken, sir? And it's like, no, no, I, I'm, I'm straight and I'm clear and I'm, I'm seeing things that aren't there. And so when they, when I gave them my d- details, they realised that you know, obviously, I was on the books for um, misbehaviour, and they said, look, can you get to the doctors at eight o'clock in the morning? It's like, yeah fine okay I thought I can manage until then and I managed to get to the doctor it was only down the end of the road from where I lived so and they had a consultant psychiatrist there waiting for me and he he had this big thick folder of all my sort of medical history and 
he's going through it all. He says, well, why don't you tell me what's been going on? And I started talking and I kept talking for over an hour telling him this history, but I was rabbiting because I could, when I get in the, those hypermanic states, I rabbit and I talk fast and people don't really understand what it is I'm saying. But at the end of it, he just kind of folds his arm and he goes, we think you have bipolar disorder. What do you think about that? And I kind of went, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what it is, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's, he, he, and then he sort of explained what it was where you have this condition where your moods can't be regulated without some sort of medi medical intervention, you know. Um, and I said, well, okay, but can I get a second opinion? And he goes, of course you can. And the next day, this is how good the NHS was back then. A consultant came to my house. A different consultant came to my house. We went through it all again, and he said the same thing. He says, look, you've got bipolar disorder. This is a very dangerous condition, and you could probably die. And that's like, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> and uh, then they put me on this medication called lithium, which is uh, the, the sort of flag bearer uh, medication for people with this condition. Um, and six weeks into it, um, I, I was stood out the back having a ciggy. It was just it was again three o'clock in the morning, and I just thought, "Wow, it's so quiet out here." And this is six weeks into the medication, you know. And I think it's so quiet. I've never known such silence. And then I realised the silence was in my mind because the medication was starting to sit on this chaos, and that's when I sort of first started to come out of it a bit and start thinking and feeling like what standard humans should you know, instead of all these excessively high and mighty emotions that because I was a very emotional person all, all the time and you know I'd, I'd get you know I'd get fixated on people and fixated on things and fixated on ideas and I wouldn't ever be able to sort of take any criticism over it you know it's like I will not deviate from my path. And then all of a sudden this medication comes along and it's like, ah, I see now. And sort of ever since that, that moment, I've been on a path of recovery for the last sort of 10 years or so, 10, 11 years. And then I met my wife, Zoe, and, you know, we got married and I've had two relapses in that time that I've known her. Um, the, the second sort of bad relapse put me in the mental hospital. So I was on a psychiatric ward for a little while, which I wrote about in the book as well, which is, I met some wonderfully interesting characters. Pro you probably heard the story about the one with the, the woman with the beard, but she was a, a <laughs> it was just a place is full of people like that. The Jean-Claude Van Damme guy who was convinced, that, he was just convinced he was Jean-Claude Van Damme. You know, <laughs> it's like, fine, but you look nothing like him, and you're probably about a foot shorter. <laughs> so that 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 was the that was the basics of um that those are the basics of what happened, you know, regarding the illness anyway. And was it hard writing about it, or was it yeah. cathartic? No, it was awful, awful writing about it. <laughs> it was awful. Because I had to sort of include the, the reasons why I was inflicted with this condition, which was I suffered abuse in childhood. And I'd never written about that before or spoken out loud about it, except to a sort of therapist. So I had to go through all that again. And that was really quite um, traumatic to do because it was like, it's like digging up a corpse, you know. And it, the corpse is not just lying there, it goes, so I had some sleepless nights when I was sort of doing that bit. Some of it was really fun because it's like I was remembering sort of pieces of my life, like working in a fruit and veg shop and stuff like that, that I'd completely forgotten about. So when you systematically start laying things out, you start sort of remembering these things and these people, and you know. So there's some really good fun elements, you know. And falling out the chippy when you hammered, you know. So there's some. It was really, it was a really tough thing to sort of 
sort of dig up again, but it's like it needed to it needed to be done. I needed to sort of you know a lot of these conditions are triggered by traumatic events. So that's I had to sort of you have to include that, but you can't just say, well it came out of nowhere. It's like no, there was a, a flashpoint that caused this <laughs> malfunction in the old grey matter that led to all of this happening. So it's and um, are you expecting to hear from a lot of people after it's released? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. I don't... Like, I was very careful not to sort of use either real names or... Like, even with talking about members of my own family, you know, like my siblings and all that, I don't use their names or anything like that. Because it's not, it's not really about them. It's about their sort of interaction with me, and you know, it, so I just sort of left that to one side. It's like, you know, I talk about my family, but not really too much in too much depth because, you know, it's there's not really a lot for them. That their involvement in all of that, what happened, is not, it's not, it's not a big element. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. I don't even name them because like, it's not fair to sort of get them involved in it. You know, this is supposed to be a a, a look at how a mental health condition, condition can come about and get out of control very quickly. So there are one or two people that I have specifically named because they were really good people and they deserve to be immortalized, you know. Like um, I have this friend. I had this friend called Stephen who was. Um, we did a, like I say, I've written about this as well. But we did a hospital radio show together, which was like when I was eighteen years old, and it was just a, the, the most wonderful time of my life because it's we we just did this radio show every Friday night. Uh, me and this um, girl called Liz, who was again, she's yeah. named in it as well because she's just an awesome person. Um, and we did this sort of Friday night radio show. Um, um, the, <laughs> there was, there was, I remember first going to one of these shows. I just kind of saw him in town one day, and I'd not seen him since school, you know. And I was just walking through town, and there he was. And it's like, hey, I do this radio show now. Do you want to come along? He's like, yeah, all right. Uh, so, but we were given this list of things that we weren't allowed to say on the air. It's like, you know, you're not allowed to talk about death. You're not allowed to swear. <laughs> you're not allowed to play any songs that, that relate to any medical conditions. Right? Things like that. But it's like, I was trying to think of to name a single song that named a medical condition just so I could play it. Because <laughs> if you give me a list of rules, I just have this, I just got to break the rules, man. <laughs> And we ended up breaking the rules anyway. It's made for a better show. But he's sort of he's done really well for himself now because he works for Apple. He designs their he designs their um, camera phones. You know the, the the cameras in the Apple phones, the sort of new generation ones, and they're like really really good. And it's like, yeah. But he was always a genius. Like from the first day I met him, he was the kid that had a load of computers taken apart in his room you know and stuff like that like you know he's going to be a genius one day and he turned out so he's living out in california now um, having, with this really good job having the time of his life so it's like good for you but you know we were friends for quite a while before he he bagged off Um, and obviously, um, when we last spoke, I said about the funny stories, and you have included some of those, haven't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And did yeah, you chuckle to yourself revisiting them? Yeah. <laughs> because you just remember, you remember, you sort of put yourself in that place at the time. Like with the fruit and veg guy, the owner of the shop, who I got on really well with, he was a really kind, nice fella. It was a good boss. It's one of those rare people that was a good boss. And he would, he was just an evil shot with a piece of fruit because he'd worked in the fruit trade for like 20 years. 
and we had this driver who used to deliver the fruit every day and he had he spoke with this really thick scouse accent you know yeah right yeah yeah and he he was <laughs> spoiling the book here but <laughs> he would he my boss was called paul and he, he this scouse driver would come in and go hey as paul told you why we call him eddie the eagle and i was like what Says, go and ask him why they call him Eddie the Eagle. And I said, oh, go on then. And I went, I went down to Paul. Hey, Paul, why do they call you Eddie the Eagle? And he goes, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, Is he bloody told you? He's bloody told you, hasn't he? I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So he's like, all right, come on. So we went back, you know, into the back. And the driver's standing there. And he's, he's like, and he's pointing at this driver. He's going, will you stop with that Eddie the Eagle shit? Otherwise, you know, it's going to be trouble. He goes, oh, he hadn't told him then. It's like, no, 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 nobody's telling him. It's referring to me. He goes, right, I'll tell him then. He was shagging this bird, right? And, and at that moment, Paul scooped a pink lady apple and hurled it like with absolute precision. And it hit the driver right in his knackers. Right? And it just shut him straight up. You know, and, the driver picked this apple up and he threw it back. Like, really pegged it, you know. And Paul just went like that and he caught it. And then he threw it again. Perfect precision. It hit the driver in the knackers again. And he goes down on the floor then and he's rolling. So, <laughs> and I'd forgotten about things like that. Sort of working in this fruit and veg shop. But yeah, there's, there's all sorts of stories in there. There's the, you know, the story of how I wiped out the entire... Uh, GCSE uh, information technology GCSE workload off the off the whole server just because the teacher called me stupid, <laughs> you know, and things like that. So I, there's plenty of, of stories in there that sort of tie, help tie this thing together. And then, the, of course, you know, there's things like the first time I had a girlfriend and stuff like that, and you know. Oh, it was it was a it was a, a bit of a grueling time, but you know if you look when you look back on it now, you just go, man, you sad old bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. well, I'm just thinking I can't bloody wait to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I thought it would be a lot longer than it actually is, but it's it turned out to be a lot shorter because it, it, it came in at about fifty five thousand words. But it's like I didn't want to overinflate it, so it becomes a bit meaningless. You know what I mean? So, so there's there's always the scope for more stories to sort of come out at some point. But I had to sort of combine it with this journey through the mental health and just sort of so you get little sort of signposts everywhere saying, uh, here's a bit of tragedy, here's a bit of insight into mental health, here's a daft story, you know, and then here's a bit more, here's another daft story, you know, so. There's plenty in there, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've sort of, when you'd said about writing a book of daft stories, it's like, well, how can I, I could use the narrative of this journey through mental health as a way to sort of spin this, this, uh, sort of these yarns together. Because <laughs> it doesn't feel that long. I can't remember when I actually interviewed you last, but it doesn't feel like it's actually been that long. Um, no, it doesn't feel long at all. I think it was about in March or something like that. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, I, it was just before I published a book called The Second Coming. Um, so I think that was back in March. I think. But I'd have to check the public my publication date. But yeah, it doesn't feel like that long at all. <laughs> mighty so busy. <laughs> yeah. So that's even more impressive that you've managed to do all that in such a short space of time. Yeah, well... I think it was like, because people had asked me to do this book about mental health, I'd sort of written a few drafts of, you know, little bits, but I couldn't ever sort of find a way to sort of make it work without sounding like a, uh, you know, a, a, a novella's worth of just misery, really. So it's like, I didn't want to put that out there, because it's just like, I don't want it to come across as like self-pitying or anything like that because it's that's not how it's intended it's just this is what happened this is what it's like 
maybe you know someone who acts like this and maybe here's a reason why you know so i didn't i didn't want it to be like um, a pity party i just wanted it to be interesting and amusing and kind of tragic if you like because <laughs> you know that's the way it just the way it turned out and it's it, it the story has a happy ending because here i am <laughs> you know <laughs> Indeed, and you get to talk to me again. What more could you possibly want? Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to meet John Richter as well, which is pretty cool. And Tales on Tuesday as well. So you have lots of people now who know who you are, at least. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. And it's always nice to be known. <laughs> yeah. Even like, if it's hey. <laughs> That's that guy that <laughs> fell out of the chippy. <laughs> yeah, I will have me. you know I was not responsible entirely for that just because I asked you to tell the story I had nothing to do with the awards they decided that. that's they your story and you're sticking to it too bloody right <laughs> <laughs> and you can't prove otherwise because they will stick up for me <laughs> of course they will listen they will. I'll, take, I'll, I'll take an award any way I can get it so <laughs> Even if it's through tomfoolery, you know. <laughs> Did you put award winning on your book, or was it too late by then? <laughs> I would never do that. Uh, I don't. I don't know why, but it's like uh, I don't know. Does it, you get you get some people that do that? They they put like stickers on the front of their 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 books. You know, I've won this award and that award and this award and that award. It's like so. Does that make you? or writing better than everybody else's why don't you write a good synopsis that'll be a good idea maybe <laughs> that'll draw people in yeah. <laughs> i think daryl walker has um yeah. <laughs> jokingly but he's just a fucking nutcase anyway <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i would i would never call myself an award-winning author award-winning <laughs> plonker perhaps and you know <laughs> My, my my plonkery has won awards, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at least something bad-ish has ended up in something quite cool, so... Well, it's, it's going to be forever immortalised, isn't it? So... <laughs> yes, if you like it or not, absolutely. <laughs> There'll be a blue plaque over that chippy one day. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brian O'Gorman fell here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so now you've written that and that's coming out. Are you working on anything else? Yes, indeed I am. I'm always working on something. I'm about 30,000 words into a new story that started off as a my attempt to write a sort of detective crime novel and it's just not turned out like that. It's gone back to horror again. But uh, <laughs> it's, that's just the way it goes, you know. It's, I just kind of write it and I just think, whoa. I wonder what we could do here to sort of mess with that up. Um, so it's, I, I wrote a book called The Water, which tackled the sort of zombie thing, you know. So it's like, I thought, I'd, I'd always wanted to do something uh, based around the vampire legend, but I'd never sort of found a, a decent vehicle to sort of put it into. And with The Water, I tried to make it, so it's not like anything else. You know, do zombies, but make sure it's it's something sufficiently different that it's not just, you know, the same old people hanging around derelict buildings and barricading themselves in, and, you know. And then someone gets bitten, but they're on the inside, and oh, and everyone else gets bitten, and oh, there's only one survivor left, and oh, they've got to run. No, they, they, and then they find someone, and they want to steal all their stuff. Blah, 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 blah. Now, I had to do something different. So with this that I'm writing now, it is a, my take on the vampire legends, but done in a modern day, but without all that sort of sparkling teenagers, you know, in the sun, you know, or, you know it's, these, these are nasty, horrible uh, soulless creatures that um, really want to prey on the weak and the feeble but uh nobody knows that they're vampires really you know they 
they can walk around during the day just as normal people. But at mm. night they change, you know, that's kind of the premise of it. And they, there's little things about them. I don't want to give too much away because it's still in its infancy, this story, but there's things about them that, that sort of distinguish them from ordinary people, like, you know, maybe what their eye on. It, the whole inspiration came from, you know, you know, when if you go to a theme park like Alton Towers or something, and you see those people that sit on rides, and when they're, they're going down these hellacious drops and all that, and they just kind of sit there like that, and they don't react. And I always found that really weird, because everyone else is like, ah, ah, you know, and they just sit there like, I feel nothing. And I thought, maybe they're sort of creatures, you know, maybe they're not human, you know. <laughs> And so it's that kind of idea that started ticking around as I was writing this story. So, so yeah, that's that's in the works at the moment. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. That sounds cool. Yeah, I, I hope it turns out okay. <laughs> like I say, I've about thirty thousand words into it, and I haven't really done anything monstrously scary yet. So, like, I haven't killed anyone yet. Oh no, that's a lie. I had a body at the start. What am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's a dead body at the start. So. Kind of sets the precedent of where it's going. But, uh, working that was of... the campest Titan head turn I've ever seen. <laughs> was it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to point that out because it made me chuckle. <laughs> well, I'll probably win an award for that at some point, won't I? <laughs> I'll have to see if everyone else agrees when they watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. It's, it's got a title, it's called The Darkanoids, which is, uh, it was, The Darkanoids was a story that I was a, a working on at one point, about four or five years ago, when I was going into a hypermanic relapse, and I was writing this story, I was writing 10,000 words a day, that's how hyperactive I was, and it was a story about, um, you know, someone going back in time and, in time and sort of breaking the timeline, and these creatures come in, and, but it was so completely incoherent that it just there was no possible way I could formulate it into a good story because when I read it back when I was healthy again I was like what the hell is this this is just 70,000 words of shit it's no good it doesn't make any sense but the creatures in it were really interesting so I took those creatures and I put them in this new version of the story so it's just to make them sort of vampire-like but different you know they're not, they're not going to be you know popping out fangs here and there they're, they're gonna be just gonna be something hopefully sufficiently different enough to be interesting it's like what can i come up with for this it's like, yeah it's talking to my wife about it the other day and her eyes are going like, oh, that sounds really good and scary well that's it yeah so it's going to be called the dark annoyed and uh God knows when it's going to be finished. Might try and get it out for Halloween, hopefully. <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe send it to a publisher or two. <laughs> going to say, do you know any good ones? But... <laughs> Why not? <laughs> oh, marvellous. <laughs> um, actually, to be fair, QMP love horror. Um, so they probably would be great. They would yeah. probably take it on. Jim yeah. especially loves horror, so. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> um, would you um, write about some of the other sort of horror stereotypes, I guess, like werewolves? And would you like to go through the whole, or would you like to be unique? I think I'd just like to cherry pick the odd one um, and be as. I like to be as sort of original as I can be because there are so many other sort of books that fall into these terrible cliches over and over again. And I always research them when uh, I'm sort of looking to sort of add to the genre to see if I can do anything different with it or take it in a different direction or just make it more interesting, you know, because it's like, how many vampire books are there out there? And all of them are like Twilight. And it's like, I thought vampires are supposed to be horrible and scary and unpleasant and you know 
they're supposed to exploit people, you know. And that, but then there's the, the the other side of the coin, which is like, you know, well, hey, you could live forever, you know, you'd never die, and no one can ever hurt you. Can't go out during the day, but you know, for most teenagers, they're going. That sounds kind of like my life now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're an old fart like me and someone says, do you want to be immortal? I'd be kind of like, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, uh, not really. <laughs> means I'll have to suffer for all eternity, wouldn't it, right? So, <laughs> so, so it's kind of like, you know, you've you got to get away from these sort of teenagery oh, isn't it wonderful to have a boyfriend sort of stories and let's let's get back to some good old-fashioned nastiness and, you know, and have a, a, a central character that's been traumatised by these uh, creatures and, you know, see what she's going to do about it, you know. Like, come on, let's go. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. But I, I, if, if, if I see an interesting take on a, on a genre that I can sort of, visualize then i'll probably have a probably have a go at it but generally i try and be as original as possible uh, it's just that certain things really appeal to me because i'm such a a fan of these old-fashioned horrors bloody helicopter whirring about over our house <laughs> i don't know if you can hear that it's friday night in it so they're out robbing <laughs> the shops again i think well it's early blimey <laughs> oh they don't waste any time they like to get it in before you know <laughs> <laughs> do it on the way home you know <laughs> why waste a journey i suppose <laughs> don't want to go home and get changed do you <laughs> oh, bunch dear. of lads in here dressed in their tesco's uniform <laughs> it's a school uniform in our area i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that sounds about right yeah. <laughs> um would you ever write with anyone else don't know never been offered so you've been asked be one... you don't have no. to be offered <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know i don't know how it works i suppose if you write sort of took it turns writing chapters then that'd be quite interesting wouldn't it i think if depending on who it was that offered that asked who would be your top person and who would you like to write with if someone was to ring up tomorrow and say would you like to write with me well, for financial reasons, Stephen King, yeah, that'd be good. Um, for for in 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 the realms of realism, someone like John Richter would be good to write a story with because he's a little bit off the off the wire, and I like that. You know, he's a lot he's, of the, yeah. <laughs> but his stories are very very outside the box, and I I really I'm, I'm wait I'm, I haven't read The Warden yet, but I've got it's sort of on my list of things to, that I really want to read, but. Uh, yeah, because he's he writes some really brilliant. Like Rabbit Hole was just so good, you know. It was just and it was so effortless to read it, you know. It was wonderful. So he's a and, and I get on really well with John as well because we did a podcast together about we're talking about zombies and you know, Dawn of the Dead and all that. So we did this podcast together, and I just had, I had an absolute blast because he's sort of on that same wavelength of you know just being really interested in all this stuff. Uh, and he's he's just a great guy, and I, you know if he offered to write a story, then us to sort of collaborate on something, I'd be like, man, I'd jump at the chance because you know someone like that. Phil Price is another one. He's another great writer that's that's you know just he's just written. I, I read one of his. I've only read one of his books, which was Unforgiven, which I thought, and his, that was a vampire one as well. And he wrote with such uh, grace and style that you know. You could really sort of see yourself sort of fitting in with that, you know. So he's another great writer. So there's lots of them, you know. Helen Pryke's another, you know, she's another great writer. Ah, oh, potentially Donna Morfitt, you know. Maybe she's a good writer. I don't know. I've not read a book yet, but <laughs> yeah, you'd have to wait a little while. But yeah, yeah, actually, I think we'd have a bit massive laughter and something because oh, mine be is fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, mine is horror as well. So. Oh, um, because it's right. yeah, because it's young adult horror. Then I couldn't um, I couldn't chop a girl's arm off, for example. Apparently, that's not allowed in young adult. So I had to tame it back a bit. So yeah, I wasn't allowed to write. <laughs> These people not read Roald Dahl. 
<laughs> Chopped bits off all sorts of people, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, apparently it's frowned upon, so I just had to like just make it It's not as fun, but you know. Listen, I, I think a lot of sort of young adults probably go for the harder stuff anyway, you know. You know they, they say, you know, oh, well, it's not suitable. But they're all like, my daughter read Stephen King at like 13 or something like that. She was already into all of that. She read It as well at 13. And that's a colossal book to read, you know. And she was she devoured it, you know. And then she was reading Edgar Allan Poe and stuff like that. So it's like, I'm so proud. <laughs> Definitely your child. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, collaboration would be great, I think. An interesting project. Yeah. I mean, I've technically I have read John's The Warden, but way back when it was called Amygdaland. And I had to message him and say, is it the same book that I read? And he's like, yeah, but obviously changed and weirder. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna invest in it very soon. As soon as I get a reading slot available, because I don't read massive amounts. I just I only read it at night, you know, just before I go to bed. I don't like I'm not like these people who obsessively read all day, you know. I'd, I'd rather be writing, but at night, just before I go to sleep to wind my brain down, I'll read. And when I read something particularly good, like Rabbit Hole, that's when I end up staying up late because I'm like, oh, just one more chapter, and then it's like, no, I must racking it. I must not read it all. No, save it for tomorrow. And I got right near to the end of that book and I was like, I'm going to stay up and finish it. And it's like three o'clock in the morning. It's a ridiculous hour, you know. It's like, no, no, I'm going to save it. Yeah. <laughs> it was exactly the same. And John loved it when I told him. Like, I had to stay up. I had to finish it. And it didn't matter that it was, it was two or gone two in the morning. Yeah. And he was like, oh, that's the best thing ever. <laughs> oh, it was just such a gripping story and so brilliantly written it's just, you know i just i absolutely loved it you know i've got to probably read it again at some point because you know there's there's very few books out there that are good enough to read several times and i think that's one of them you know i think that one will get better each time you read it because i think there's probably more sort of subtle things in there that you didn't pick up on the first time around so that's a sign of a good writer you see they put stuff in that you don't really get until you read it again so and um, it's funny, he's written a fantasy um, and you sort of read Rabbit Hole and Auxiliary and The Warden, I guess, that are sort of sci-fi. And then this fantasy book he's written is so beautifully written. The language and stuff he uses, it's like, wow, yeah, I can't believe this is the same person that's yeah. written really geeky techno things. Yeah. He's got depth. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't have that kind of depth. I just like, here's some beautiful... Uh, scenery and let's splatter blood all over the place and yeah, let's throw in a few monsters. But I always write about characters, you see. I like getting getting a character's head and then make people care about the character and then do some nasty shit to that character. That's <laughs> the way my sort of philosophy of writing is. Whereas, you know, John is like, he can envision whole worlds. I just have to envision people because, you know, I don't think my sort of peripheral imagination will stretch to like a whole world, so I have to just focus on people. So I only the, I only sort of see streets and cities and all that when the character actually goes there. So, whereas <laughs> he's got that ability to sort of stretch out and build a whole world for you. you know. Yeah, I think you'll like the fantasy one actually if he ever gets it published, and it's got like. Um... Uh, like robots and uh, giants and yeah. stuff and it's like um, a plague ridden world and stuff so yeah yeah that sounds good yeah. it is it's awesome I love it I can't wait I for it yeah get it out there yeah I keep uh, keep asking him occasionally obviously I don't I'll, want to I'll start mithering him and all <laughs> it, yeah It'll be fine. Yeah. He loves it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think I have any more questions unless um, I can think of any really horrible ones to embarrass you, but I think I've done that enough last time. So I don't get embarrassed very easily. No, I'm not <laughs> <really>. <laughs> I'd, 
don't I don't embarrass easy. So it's like <laughs> no, that ship's long sailed. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when you've been subjected to as much public humiliation as I have, <laughs> embarrassment does not come easy. <laughs> yeah, likewise, actually, I don't. Even when I put my foot in my mouth, generally, I'm just like, <laughs> again, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I can't think of anything else to ask you, really. Ah, well, I'm boring you already. I know. That's crazy, isn't it? How time flies when you're having fun. Indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. I wouldn't want to keep you from whatever it is that you were planning on doing the rest of the evening. Well, I'm going to make a club sandwich for tea and then veg in front of the television, I think. And, um, watch some, uh, probably watch really rubbish horror films, I think. <laughs> I'll t- tell you what we have been watching a lot of action films you know like when you, you see an action film on Netflix or something like that or Amazon or whatever and you see this this film that you've not seen before but it's got like a big action star from like the 1980s in it like Bruce Willis or Arnold Schwarzenegger or something and, and you go oh I've not seen that I bet that's good and then you put it on and it's absolute rubbish and the big star from the 1980s is in it for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and then that's it. And they're gone. And they, they, all the sort of performances that they do, they sort of phone them in, you know. There's no passion or interest in it. It's like, what the hell am I watching? We get, normally me and my wife will get halfway through a film and she'll be on her phone. Like that. I'm like, what do you think of this? Like, ah, it's no good. Like, okay, I'll turn it off, put some. And then if we can't find anything, we'll go through the DVD collection. Yeah, yeah, put a carry-on film on or something. <laughs> carry-on films, love them. Not going to break your virginity of watching football tomorrow when England play. <laughs> no, 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 I don't do football. <laughs> it's not my thing at all. If, uh, if I'm going to watch any sport, it'll be something like uh, wrestling or fighting or some kind of something oh, where people get it, you know, but in a controlled environment, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit sadistic. Like, I'm a bit because my mother used to be a big boxing fan, so you know, she she was a when when Frank Bruno was you know very very at, his, at the peak of his career, she, she was we'd we'd all be around the television watching the Bruno fight. And when he won the world title, she cried. <laughs> she was so happy. You know, it was okay. like, it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, she was a big fight fan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've met him. He used to come to Petra oh, yeah. Station, used to work in. He is fucking huge. <laughs> Absolutely ginormous. My God. <laughs> and he has bipolar disorder as well. So, you know, he's a, been a spokesman for yeah. people like me for a while now. So. Yeah, he used to come in and then he didn't come in for a while and then it broke that he was suffering and and had to break and stuff so yeah 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 but but when he won the world title it was a it was a wonderful night in our house to tell you (laughs) (laughs) it was fantastic because it went to a lot of points decision of if i remember it correct and then when they announced bruno as the new world champion it was like let's get that dirty milk out Oh, those are the days! <laughs> oh, fantastic! Yeah, when it used to be like a big event, you know, on the and it was on like you know ITV, you know, it was on on the big on the big channels, you know, before all this pay per view nonsense that we have now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's rubbish. Do you see this? It's a good thing about football. It's just on the mainstream. Everything else gets moved yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. I'm not asked because I don't watch the telly at night. I just. We just put films on. We've always done it. It's like, unless there's something like really pressing that we really want to watch, which isn't very often, you know, like we'll watch Casualty or something like that, but that's about it, you know, or Doctor Who. Or, but even that's gone rubbish these days. But, ooh, I just disgraced the holy god of <laughs> sci-fi. But uh, we'd, we'd, we'd usually just watch stuff on, on streaming services now because that seems to be the way it is. Which is handy because you can pause it, you know. <laughs> if someone comes in to talk to you. 
<laughs> Just make sure Renzo doesn't watch Sex Life. She's already watched it. She's already seen it. <laughs> She's already seen it. She says she was a bit. We had a, we had this weird conversation about it. Yeah. She's got rolling her eyes. <laughs> She's going on with herself. <laughs> but uh, we had this sort of conversation. It was like, it was the whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing, where it's a story of a woman going after a bad boy, you know. Well, all bad boys are all good in bed and all this. And, and, and then you have the sort of goody two-shoes husband who, you know, he's not so good in bed and all that. And it's like, God damn it, it's, it's so misleading this because it's like, there are bad boys out there that can't get it up, you know, it's like and there are good people good men who, you know are monsters in the bedroom you know, and it, it was just this, one of these bizarre conversations that we ended up having, it's like, well statistically, people are more uh, enjoy their enjoy their sexual encounters when they're in the confines of a good relationship that's where the best stuff happens it's not you're not going to get all that rolling about in the hay with you know mr bad boy biker jacket you know it's like so she she, she sat through this whole thing and she was she was in, she was so annoyed at the end of it like, what the hell was that all about <laughs> it's like, yeah, fair enough yeah, but the bad boy has a massive thing so like massive <laughs> yeah but that's all very well it's all very well having a bloody nail if you don't know where to hammer it you know <laughs> judging by the women on there he knew exactly how to but you know who's to say <laughs> <laughs> i'm only saying that because i've got small genitals no <laughs> but uh it's yeah it's, you need an art use your tool it's not the size of it you know <laughs> and uh, and shall we end on that uh, rather? Shall um... we end on that rather <laughs> filthy note? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we probably should before I say something I shouldn't. <laughs> so just to remind everyone why we're here. You know the whole yeah. book and everything. Yeah. Just you know, so they don't go away thinking about hammering and tools and things. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the... Uh, we're going to win an award for this at some point, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I shouldn't encourage you either, should I? <laughs> oh, dear. It's going to be the subject of conversation later on, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but she should be resting, you know? She's just had a tooth out, you know? <laughs> had surgery yesterday on a... have a tooth removed and... Oh. Talking about that, oh, a disgrace! They call a man book. Book, yes, the man who loved spiders. A memoir of mental health is out on the 9th of July, which is my documentation of my journey through is that, with a, a life with bipolar disorder, and some daft stories thrown in to make Donna laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you very much. <laughs>